do the clicker. All right. Who needs a Bible today? Anybody need it? Specifically an ESV Bible, because we're going to be reading a lot. And if you don't have one, it's nice to follow along. Yeah. Here we go. There's one that has next to you So I brought a chair today, a little more casual, so kind of how we're going to do today is a little different than the way we've done it in the past. Um, there aren't many stories, well, I shouldn't start it that way, it's not a great way to start it. Um, it's honest, so let's, let's just start with honesty, okay. Honestly... There aren't like a ton of passages in the Bible where I get to, okay, let me go back. This is not in my notes. This is why I'm, I'm struggling here. There's a point, I think, in every book that Angel and I, we always call it the point of no return, okay? And it's that point where, yeah, you've been reading a novel and you're reading, you're reading, but you get to this point where you're like, you're like neglecting the kids and, you know, things just aren't getting done around the house. And what's well, I've reached the point of no return in the book. And I literally, I can't put it down, and I have to figure out what's going to happen next, right? And so when it comes to the Bible, there's a lot of stories in the Bible. Um, I don't know how many of them hold my attention for chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter, and I just can't put it down, and I have to figure out what's going to happen next. But the story of Joseph is one of them, Okay. And Joseph, another one that comes to mind quickly is the end of Acts. You guys ever read the end of Acts where Paul is ship, he's going to Jerusalem, he gets in a shipwreck, he's going back and forth over the sea. Like, you should read the end of Acts. It reads, I have like wanted someone to make a movie out of it because it is a fantastic thriller of a novel to get to the end and like, I just can't put it down. And so Joseph is one of those stories where I just read and here we've read, we've been studying the book of Genesis and, um, you know, each story is a chapter, two, three chapters. Joseph's story goes basically from chapter 37 to the end of the book, chapter 50, okay? So that's a lot of chapters, right? And so how do we handle that as a youth group? I could, you know, I could say, well, let's pick out a few important verses and look at those, but I'd much rather have you guys experience the story and get the chance to hear the story. So, all that to say, today, we're going to read a really long story, okay? Not really much of a sermon, just a lot of the Bible, and it's a good one, okay? Now, before we do that, I want to tell you that as we jump into the story of Joseph, this story is extremely important, and it answers some of the most important questions that we ask as human beings. And some of the most important questions that the Israelites would have asked as the people of God. And I'm not going to tell you what those questions are yet, but I find it interesting that the Bible, when it wants to address really important topics, it doesn't always give us like a philosophical, logical argument as to how we should understand really difficult things in life. Oftentimes it tells us a story 
That's oftentimes how Jesus worked, right? People would ask him hard questions and he'd tell them a story. And so that's what we have here. We have a really huge question and a story that's supposed to help us. Now, stories are always fascinating. They tend to grip us, keep us engaged. And the reality is we're all part of a story. We're all part of our own story, right? How many of you have ever had that weird thought where you're like, well, I'm me and you're you. This is so crazy. Like you look in the mirror and you see you and I look in the mirror and I see me and I have no, like, what if I were you and you were me? That'd be really weird, right? What if our stories were mixed up? But I'm not. I'm me and you're you. And we all, and I'm never going to have your story and you're never going to have my story. And, and it's kind of one of those like mind-boggling things as you think about it that I'm the only one who experiences me. And here's what me says to me all the time. And, you know, my struggles and my issues and my joys. And I don't have your joy. So we all have our own stories. And how many of us wish we knew how our story was going to end up? Yeah, you kind of wish you could fast forward a little bit, see what was going to happen. <laughs> Adam's like, nope. <laughs> it's going to end up good, buddy. It is. It is. Don't, don't worry. Right? So we all have our own stories oftentimes. Oftentimes, we'd love to know, kind of fast forward, what's going to happen, you know? Am I going to get married? Am I going to go to college? Am I going to get a good job? Am I ever going to own that car that I want? You know, what are the things that we're looking forward to? But we never get to know those things. But one thing we can do is we can look back at other people's stories, right? And we can see what their story was like. And in some ways, we can empathize with them. We can feel with them as we go through their story with them and realize you know, while we may know the ending of Joseph, some of us may know the ending of how Joseph ends, Joseph didn't know the ending of Joseph as he was going through it and as all these crazy things were happening to him. So we can feel for Joseph as we go through his story, but we can also see how did Joseph carry himself in the midst of this crazy story and how can that help me to carry myself in the right way in the midst of my crazy story? Because we're all not just part of our own story, we're all part of a much bigger story, which is God's story. And what we're going to see in the story of Joseph is God's story and Joseph's story coming together, okay, in the midst of all sorts of crazy twists and turns. So open up to Genesis chapter 37, and we're going to go chapter by chapter. We're just going to see how far we can make it, and we're going to make a few observations along the way, okay? So Genesis chapter 37. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojourning in the land of Canaan, and these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17, a.k.a. a junior, senior in high school, years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his, brother, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them, of his brothers, to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors, which can also be translated as a robe with long sleeves, which you might think, what does that mean? I heard a commentator was good when he said, it means that Joseph was management, not labor. You get what that's saying? So Joseph, by getting a robe, you don't do a lot of hard work in long sleeves. Let's just put it that way, okay? Or maybe really nicely colored jacket. Your management, and you're the younger brother over the older brothers, okay? 
But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. So his dad is like, that's a crazy dream, but he keeps thinking about it. Now his brothers went to pasture their flock, their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. So again, remember, brothers are in charge of taking care of the flocks. Joseph is management, so he's at home enjoying the cushy life. And he's sent to go check on the brothers. Go check on your brothers. Bring me back a report, right? Now, Shechem would have been a multiple-day walk away, so it's not like go across the street. It's a couple days' walk. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields. Huh, that's curious. A man found him? And the man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Crazy thing, last night I had a dream. Someone was angry at me. They were telling on me to somebody else, and they called me the dreamer. So I've been studying this passage a lot, I guess. <laughs> Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, Reuben's the oldest brother, he rescued him out of their hands and said, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might that he, Reuben, might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. So Reuben, not so bad, right? Kind of helping Joseph out. Let's not kill him. Or Reuben's the firstborn who, remember two weeks ago, had sex with his dad's wife and got a curse pronounced upon him and isn't going to inherit everything like the firstborn should and maybe is trying to get dad's favor back again by saving his favorite son. So maybe not the most pure of motives, okay? Just a thought. Then they sat down to eat and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum and balm and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. So Judah, not so bad, right? 
saves his brother or decides that it'd be better to get something from selling him rather than killing him. If we kill him, we don't get any money. So maybe Judah's not so great either, right? So they sell him. Then the Midianite traders passed by. They drew him up, Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, they took jo- and they took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone and I, where shall I go? Notice the focus is on me, right? What's going to happen? This was my chance to get back in dad's good graces. Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted and said, no, I shall go down to Sheol, which is the place of the dead. So I'm going to go down to death to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. So a couple questions. Where do we see God at work in this chapter? Has God talked about it all by name? Not really. No, nothing said about God, okay? But one place that we do see God is we see him in the dreams because it was always believed that dreams were sent from God. That would have been a common belief. So God is giving Joseph some dreams, okay? What random events do we see taking place in Joseph's life that start sending him on this path of going to Egypt? Pick out any random events in that chapter. Sort of random, seem random. The coat. The what? The coat. Okay. So he gets a coat. It's a colorful coat. Or a long sleeve coat. Okay. How did Joseph end up in the hands of his brothers? What had to happen for that situation to come about? His brothers. So, it's a pretty innocent event, right? Jacob says, Joseph, go check on your brothers. Let's think, well, what would have happened if he hadn't sent him? Maybe he wouldn't have found himself alone with his thug brothers, right? What else happened? Did he find his brothers right away? They saw him coming. Hmm? They saw him coming. They saw him coming. Before that, though, remember, he went to Shechem, and they weren't there. Reuben's motives. 
And then, just as they come up with this plan, Judah has a plan. Yeah, so Judah has a plan to sell them. And what just happens to go walking by? A caravan, right? So it just so happens that a caravan of slave traders comes by, okay? Now, we could say a bunch of random events, right? Let's keep reading the story and see how these random events get woven in. 38, we're gonna, I'm going to give you a summary. It's Judah and Tamar, and, it, and it's this weird story that kind of stands out, and it's like, why is this right in the middle of the Joseph story? And it's the story of Judah goes, has three boys. Uh, the first boy gets married to a woman named Tamar, and it, all it tells us is he was wicked, so God killed him. Well, in the law back then, um, it was traditional that the firstborn son needed to have his own firstborn son, and if the firstborn son died before he had any kids, it was the role of his younger brothers to go to his wife and provide a firstborn son. So the second son goes, and he's wicked, so God kills him. And so Judah's like, well, I don't really want to give my thirdborn son to Tamar because I don't want him to get killed because he thinks the problem is Tamar, but it's really his sons are wicked. And so then Tamar dresses up as a prostitute, meets with Judah, gets pregnant, and that's how God provides the firstborn son for that family. And you might think, wow, that's messed up, kind of like a couple chapters ago. Why do we even have to have that story in there? And there's two really important reasons. First of all, we're going to see a huge transformation in Judah throughout the course of the Joseph story. So Judah's going to be really influential in the Joseph story. The second reason is because Israel's line of kings comes from Judah. Okay, Jesus is a descendant of Judah. So it's really important for the Israelites to know Judah's story and how the descendants came from him. So that's another reason why we see this, okay? So jump to 39. We're going to skip 38. That was 38 in summary. 39, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ish bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master, and his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and the field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am nor has he kept anything from me except you, yourself, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her and to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of, his house, out of the house, she called to the men in the house 
and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice, and as soon as he heard that, I lifted up my voice and cried out. He left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up this, his garment by her until his master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to laugh at me, but as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the word that his wife spoke to him, this is the way uh, your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Okay? So, kind of crazy. Notice what we see God doing here. It tells us that God was with Joseph, right? And he was with Joseph at the beginning. Where's Joseph's first location in Egypt? Potiphar's house. In Potiphar's house, right? So he's with Joseph in Potiphar's house. And what happens there? <coughs> what happens in Potiphar's house? Um, Potiphar's wife likes Joseph, and she tries to get him to lie, uh, to lie down with her. Yeah. But Joseph knows it's wrong to do it, so he refuses, and then she gets all mad and tells him to lie about her. Yeah, okay, you're exactly right. And what kind of sets the scene for that whole story is that everything succeeds in Joseph's hands, right? So here Joseph is in Potiphar's house. He's with Joseph in Potiphar's house. And everything Joseph does succeeds. Okay, and this is in Potiphar's house. Okay? And then we could say random event. Random event is... whole Potiphar's wife issue, okay? Now, stroke of bad luck, right? Here Joseph goes from being almost murdered to being a slave, which is a little bit better than being murdered, and happens to get hired by a really powerful guy. God shows up, helps Joseph, gives him great success, looks like things might turn out okay for old Joe, right? But then he has to have this happen, and Joseph, we notice, does nothing to make this happen, right? Joseph, in the midst of all of this, what's he? He's faithful to God, right? Because he says, I couldn't do this wicked thing in God's sight. So Joseph is faithful. He hasn't done anything to bring this about. And yet, it still happens. And where does Joseph end up? In prison, right? Now you could say, random event. Which prison do they happen to put him in? Well, they happen to put him in the prison with the king's prisoners. That's kind of odd. You know, you take this foreigner, slave, and put him in the same prison where you're going to put all of, like, the pharaoh's guys. We would interpret this, you know, I read some commentators would say, this is probably like the cushy prison. It's like the not-so-bad prison, okay? And we're going to find out that this is going to become really important, isn't it? All right? We'll get to that in a second. But 
we learn something else at the end of the chapter, which is God, when Joseph is in prison, tells us God's with Joseph in prison. And what happens in prison is that Joseph finds great success again. The guy in charge of the prison puts Joseph in charge, and Joseph continues to succeed in the prison. Kind of crazy turn of events. Okay, so let's get back to it. Chapter 40, sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt, and Pharaoh was angry with the two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed. The cupbearer and the baker and the king, uh, of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled, so he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast? And they said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So we're going to fast forward, and we see that these guys both have dreams. One guy's dream, Joseph says, well, what the dream means is that in three days, you are going to be restored to your position of cupbearer before Pharaoh. And when you get restored, please tell him about me, because I'm innocent. And then the next guy has his dream, and he says, yeah, your dream's not so good. In three days, you're going to be taken out of the prison, and you're going to be killed. And it says... Both things happen exactly as Joseph said they were going to happen. And then look at verse 23, the very last verse. Yet, chapter 40, verse 23, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Hmm. Okay. Well, chapter 40, you could say random events. He gets put in the king's prisoner. King's prison, sorry. He's in the king's prison, happens to have the cupbearer and the baker in prison with him. He interprets their dreams. Everything starts to look good again, right? This guy, cupbearer, he's going to get out. He's going to tell him. But then it tells us he's forgotten again. He's forgotten. They get, come on, God, like things are starting to go good. It looks like he's got a way out, but he's forgotten. And if you look at verse, 40, or verse 1 of chapter 41, it tells us, after two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. So it takes two years of Joseph sitting there thinking, they've forgotten me before anything happens. Now, if you guys know the story, we're going to skim this part. Pharaoh has a dream, right? Nobody can interpret the dream. And because no one can interpret the dream, the cupbearer goes, you know what? I had a dream one time and a guy told me what it meant and it actually came true. And he's in prison. He's probably still there, right? Because people don't get out of there. You should go get that guy and have him interpret the dream, right? And what was the dream? Or what did the dream mean? You guys remember? Okay, so we've got seven fat cows eating seven skinny cows. We've got seven big heads of grain of wheat eating, devouring seven. Or no, the other way around. Yeah, the skinny ones eat the fat ones. This withered wheat eats the good, healthy wheat. And it means there's going to be seven years of good harvest followed by seven years of famine, right? 
And Joseph is so smart that he goes on to give some advice as to how they should handle the situation. And Pharaoh is so impressed that he sees that the Spirit of God is in Joseph and says, who else would be better than to handle this situation than you? And so he puts him in charge of everything. And everything succeeds in Joseph's hand. So again, we see that God, once again, is with Joseph. This is now in front of Pharaoh. And here in prison, remember Joseph is faithful because he says, who can interpret the dreams but God? It's not me who does it, God does it. And in front of Pharaoh, Joseph is <coughs> faithful because he says, who can interpret your dream? Not me, it's God who interprets your dream. So Joseph keeps saying, God, 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 God keeps being with Joseph. Success, 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 success. <coughs> even after being forgotten, we see that two years later, he's remembered, and he calls him back up. Now, I just want to hypothesize for a minute. Think about if the cupbearer would have remembered Joseph the day he got out of prison. Think if the cupbearer would have gone to Pharaoh the day he got out of prison and said, listen, there's this Hebrew slave in prison. I had a dream, and it, he told me what it meant, and it came true. You should consider letting him out. Pharaoh might be like, cool, you know, interprets dreams. That's kind of interesting. But we learn from this story that Pharaoh's got a whole group of guys that interpret dreams. He's got a whole group of magicians and wise men who interpret his dreams. So what's a Hebrew slave who is innocent, maybe, maybe not, who cares? He's very low on the totem pole of society. Why would Pharaoh necessarily want to even go and help this guy? So God lets the cupbearer forget about Joseph. But two years later, when Pharaoh is really, really struggling with a dream he had and really, really wants to know what it means, and none of his magicians and none of his wise men can tell him what it means, oh, yeah, Joseph, there's this guy named Joseph. Do you see the difference that two years makes? So Joseph might be pretty bummed out that he got forgotten for two years. But if you start to see God's story weaving into Joseph's story, things start to come a little more clear, right? Okay, well, we're running out of time, so let's get to the test. The test is the fun part, okay? So why don't I just start paraphrasing, paraphrasing at this point? At this point, what happens except that all of Israel is starving because there's a famine. And so Joseph or Jacob says, go to Egypt, send the sons to Egypt to get food so that we don't all die. Now think back to the big story of Genesis. The big story of Genesis is about God meeting with man, meeting with one man in particular, Abraham, starting a covenant telling him that I'm going to multiply you so that you're a great nation. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you descendants. And you fast forward to this point and you've got, they're on the brink of starvation. How in the world is God going to save this whole nation from starving in the midst of one of the worst famines the land has ever known? Well, the answer is that God was on it 17 years before it even started. God was working on the solution long before the famine was even thought of. And the solution is Joseph. So God's story had already taken into account this horrible thing that was going to happen so that the book of Genesis could continue. 
And so we see that the brothers get sent down, Joseph recognizes them, um, and what happens next is the test. And what's really interesting about the test is that Joseph decides he's going to put his brothers to the test to see if they have changed. All right? So he remembers his brothers as being guys who were jealous, guys who were murderous, all right? And generally didn't care about him, okay? So first part of the test is this. He says, you're all spies, and the only way you can prove to me that you're not spies is by going and getting your youngest brother, because they accidentally slipped that they had a younger brother. Go get that youngest brother you're talking about and bring him down here. Now, why is this a test? First, how do we know that this is a test? What's happening is that Joseph knows that Benjamin is going to probably be favored just like he was because Joseph and Benjamin were brothers of uh, brothers from the wife of Rachel who was Jacob's loved wife, not Leah, okay? And he can probably surmise that because Benjamin wasn't sent down, it's because Jacob has taken an attachment to him and wants to keep him safe, kind of like he wanted to keep Joseph safe way back in the day. And so he says, go get that brother, and then we'll talk about you having grain. Well, he does send them back with grain, and he actually gives them their money back on the way back. And the funny thing is, throughout this whole thing, you could say, it's, they're being blessed, aren't they, by Joseph. They're being taken care of. But how do the brothers interpret it? They all say, God's doing this to punish us for what we did to Joseph. So we've got major guilty consciences in the minds of the brothers, right? And they think everything's happening because... We did this to Joseph. Even the money. So getting the money back in our sacks is not a good thing because the most powerful man in Egypt is going to find out that we didn't pay for our food. What's he going to do to us? So they go up. They tell Jacob, we need Benjamin. And Jacob says, no way. No way am I sending Benjamin back. Even though they left Simeon in jail and they can't get Simeon until they bring Benjamin. Like, forget Simeon. I'm not sending Benjamin. And it takes them eating all of the food and running out of all of the food before he finally says, go back and get more food. Judah says, we can't go back without Benjamin. And then Judah says, my life for his life. Okay? I will put myself personally on the line for Benjamin. I'll die before he does. I'll go into slavery before he does. Just let us take him so we can get more food. So they do. They go down. They get more food. They go through a whole nother test where they dine with Joseph. And what does Joseph do? He does this really funny thing. He gives them all lots of food, but he gives Benjamin five times more food than the rest of the brothers. Now, if you're a guy and you just walk from Israel to Egypt, food is a wonderful thing and you're really excited about it. And your youngest brother gets five times as much as you do. What's the test here? Well, remember how Joseph had a nice coat that the other guys didn't have? Remember how he was favored by his brother? Or by his dad? Remember how they treated him because he was favored? So here Joseph is putting him to the test again, saying, well, let's see how they respond to their youngest brother getting nicer stuff than they do. And what we see then is that he sends them all away and he puts his silver cup into Benjamin's bag. He sends his guy to go get Benjamin, to go say, you guys stole from the king? And they're like, we didn't steal anything. That'd be insane. Why would we steal anything? And they look through all their bags. They find the cup. And they all slap their heads at the same time, and they go, I can't believe it was Benjamin. Benjamin took the cup, we're all screwed. And so they all start talking, what are we going to do? And they get back, and who steps forward 
but Judah. And Judah walks right up and he says, my life for his life. Put me in slavery. I will be your servant for the rest of my life. Just let Benjamin go. And what happens to Jacob? Or what happens to Joseph? He loses it, right? Because they passed the test, didn't they? He realizes these are different guys than the guys who came and put me in prison. These are the guys who sent me off as a slave. And then we get to the truth. And the truth comes out, and Joseph tells him who he is. And I'm going to read two verses to you at the end here. In Genesis 45, 7 and 8, they're all wondering what's going to happen next. They find out that it's Joseph. Is he going to kill us? What's going to happen? Joseph says in verse 7, And God sent me before you to preserve you for a, preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And if we go to chapter 50, I'm just going to read this. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I am, in the place, am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So we see that all of it comes clear kind of at the end here, don't we? Joseph has gone through hell. He's been nearly killed. He's been sent to jail. The whole time he's been faithful, so you can't make the argument that he's done anything to deserve all of this. God, funny enough, everywhere he goes, whether it's in prison or in front of Pharaoh or in front of Potiphar, he succeeds in everything he does. Whole bunch of random events. We stopped at the forgotten for two years, but there were more. Whole bunch of random events leads to his situation. And at the end of the day, the big idea is this was all part of God's plan. He did all of this so that he would save the people of Israel for a famine that he knew was coming. Now, is that a crazy story or what? Right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, let's end with this thought. This story asks, or answers questions, but it raises a bunch of questions. And I said we're going to tell you what the questions are later. So, think about this question. How did God preserve his people in spite of the famine? Well, he sent Joseph, right? And so we have to ask the question, is God in control of our lives, just like he is in Joseph's? And someone might ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? And so those are the questions that we really want to ask next week as we get into the next time. Um, but that's why we went about reading the whole story today. I know we fast-forwarded towards the end. If you're interested, you know where it is. Go read the whole story and kind of see some of the twists and turns. Um, but we'll close in prayer and go from there. Lord God, we thank you that you have done an amazing thing in the story of Joseph, that you have not only uh, shown us great faithfulness to Joseph as he was faithful to you, even allowing harm to come to him so that you might carry out your good plan. And Lord, it answers and raises big and hard questions that we face in our life. And so I pray that you'll give us wisdom in the weeks to come as we um, encounter those questions and ask uh, whether you're in charge of our lives in the same way and how we can make our story weave more with your story. And so I just pray um, they'll give us wisdom for weeks to come. I pray for the students as they go into this week that they will see Joseph's faithfulness as an example for them to follow and that they will desire to follow and be faithful to you no matter what their conditions are. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. Take care. Centennial Beach on Wednesday.